Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1483 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday here at the very, very end of May, almost to June. And today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of the Lawton Podcast Network. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on right now to get started. And today's show, we, myself, and Bill DeFilippo of Uprock Sports and Dime. Bill and I work together at Dime, covering the NBA, covering college basketball, the draft, all that fun stuff. We'll talk about two different things on today's podcast. First, some Jalen Brown Hawks stuff with regard to his trade potential as well as potentially if the Hawks are a fit or not and then the second half of the podcast will be Bill and I talking about the NBA finals which occur and start on Thursday in Denver between the Nuggets and the Heat plan to get to on that front as well I'll encourage you to make the podcast your first listen each and every day by the way anywhere you get your podcasts please subscribe on Apple Spotify YouTube, etc. And a fun conversation today. We'll have more with Ben Pfeiffer, by the way, later on in the week. We've already had two parts with Ben up on the podcast network in the last couple of days on the NBA draft. First, second round picks, and then also the top of the lottery. The last installment, the third and final, will be about the Hawks' potential first round picks in the middle of the first round. That's going to be coming later in the week, but because the finals start on Thursday, good time to kind of break it up a little bit, talk to Bill, and we'll have much more later on in the week. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Without any further delay, we'll have the intro. I'll be back with myself and Bill on Jalen Brown and the final. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am joined now by a colleague, a friend, basketball expert, general Penn State enthusiast. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great, Brad. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. The finals are upon us, and we're going to do a little bit of finals talk. I know it's not a general NBA podcast, but it's the finals. People can kind of get in. I'm sure everybody will be watching the finals, but I do want to start with a Hawks-adjacent topic, and it's one that I've covered a little bit before by myself and through the Hawks lens, and we'll do a little bit of that, but I thought it was a good occasion to bring someone who covers the whole league on a national basis, and also make them answer about this. So Jalen Brown is a popular topic for Atlanta Hawks fans, which Mm -hmm. makes some sense. He's from here. He's not a free agent, but he's a year away, and it's not extended, and there have been some trade rumors around Jalen Brown uh, to the point where I think a lot of Hawks fans are just like assuming he's going to be traded to the Hawks, which is very funny in some ways. Uh, But it kind of reached a fever pitch when he had the very, very, very bad game seven, and now there are questions about whether he's even worth the contract, all that stuff. So uh, before we dive into the Hawks, like where do you where do you stand on the Jalen Brown thing, even just for the Celtics? Because, you know, it's, it's super max offer they have to make. And that's I think the assumption is and we don't know this for sure, that they kind of have to offer him that or he's not going to sign. So I don't know if that's the case or not. But uh, where are you at on this? So the thing with Jalen Brown is that how many times over the years and, and this is understandably with the caveat that uh, they've never had to make him the most expensive NBA player to ever live. (laughs) How many times over the years have they kind of gotten to an inflection point where it could be, we go in this direction, we go in that direction It involves moving Jalen and building around Jason. And they've decided, no, no way. uh, We're just keeping Jalen Brown. Like even go back to last summer. It was that rumor came out about uh, Jalen and Kevin Durant, uh, yep. Jalen's name being in Kevin Durant rumors, and Boston was really quick and emphatic, no, we're not doing that. So I think if I had to take a guess, and this is just off of a gut feeling, this is off of uh, what has been reported, and this is about knowing the tendencies of the Celtics, how they go about their business, how they value their own guys, 
it's really hard for me to see anything happening other than signing Jalen, you know, saying, Jalen, here's the Supermax. Here's the five-year, $295 million contract. We know you had a bad game, but we've seen you have a lot more really good games than that one really bad game. We want to keep you around. We want to keep you and Jason as a duo. You know, you're both 25, 26 years old, whatever. I, I think that for how bad of a taste everyone has in their mouths around Jalen Brown right now, Brad, and you can tell me if you think this is insane. This is one of those situations where the easiest answer or the correct answer is the easiest one. And the easiest one is just, you put the contract in front of him, you get him locked up and then you figure out what to do after that. Yeah. I think that, and as we record this, we have not seen, we still have not seen like real Intel on where Boston stands or whether they're going to offer this thing or not. Um, I think the assumption is they probably will. And look, I know Hawks fans want Jalen Brown. I understand that. I, If I was a uh, Hawks viewing person, it's like, yeah, I want Jalen Brown on my team. He's very good. You can debate how, you can debate, you can debate how good he is, yeah. um, but everyone agrees he is very good, and he does fit with what Atlanta wants to do, all that stuff. But, yeah, I, I think that I have to see Jalen Brown turn down the money to believe that he would turn, to believe that he would turn it down. It, it's so yeah. much money that if they offer the full designated extension, I have to assume he'll take it. And yes. does that mean he gets traded in two years? Maybe that's possible or maybe in a year, but you can't be traded for a year once you sign it. So that takes him off the board for a year. And, you know, basically no one has ever turned down a deal like that in the NBA, especially for a guy who isn't, honestly, it's not a no brainer because he's not this kind of guy. If this was Giannis, yes. it's an obviously no brainer. You offer the guy, whatever, whatever you can offer him. But Jalen Brown is like the 25th best player in the league or something like that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just throwing a number out there. I haven't done the list, but he's not a no brainer top 10 player. Like you don't just, for Tatum, they're just going to do it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You could debate, it could be how, how good Tatum is too, but he's obviously sort of seen as a, a half tier or a tier above Jalen Brown. So there's that decision for Boston. Then there's the decision for Brown, which again, I think he's just going to take it. They offer it. Um, and the thing is, if he gets traded, the new team can't offer it. That's what I think is a misconception out mm-hmm. there. Like, let's just say, for instance, he got traded to the Hawks in the next month. The Hawks cannot offer him the Supermax. That is off the table. They can give him the Supermax at the end, once he reaches free agency, they can pay him that giant deal, but they cannot extend him this summer. Nobody can at that number other than Boston. If they trade him, that's off the table. So, and the whole thing is, it's, it's like Dejounte Murray. Yes, they can't offer him enough on the normal extension to get him to sign it. So it's this really weird situation, and I think people don't always operate through this. And look, I'm not expecting fans to know all the ins and outs of this thing. They just want Jalen Brown, and I get it. Um, right. So. I think I'm with you on this. I think the most likely scenario is probably Jalen Brown gets gets the offer from Boston and signs it, and they figure it out later. It's a lot of money, man. I mean, Tatum is going to be even more. It seems like, uh, isn't that? Yes. I think so. I it's think like, like that. It's like six hundred million dollars combined. It's some crazy, outrageous number. Um, so, I mean, that's not the fun answer, but I think we agree on this. Well, now, the, the, the one thing I will one thing I will say is the. You and I agree on that. The one thing I will say is we are about to enter a CBA where the NBA is basically saying it is a bad thing if you want to try and spend money to be good. <laughs> yeah. And to me, m- more than um, more than what his performance was in this, uh, basically in this one game seven, more than anything else, that is the one thing where if I am the Celtics, I'm going to go, ooh, I vow – the, the Celtics are a really good team at finding like a guy on a mid-level, finding ways to package a pick or two together to get a guy way down the road for a guy like Derek White, that kind of stuff. So 
to me, that's the more interesting thing with Jalen Brown and whether or not they're going to give him this big contract. But again, at the end of the day, this is, I'm sure something we'll end up talking about in a second. Like, if you are a team that wants to trade for Jalen Brown, what would you rather do? Would you rather have this version of Jalen Brown who can potentially walk away after one year, only signed one-year deal, whatever it is? Or would you rather Jalen Brown signs a five-year max next offseason, you try to make a big offer, and next thing you know, you have Jalen Brown for five years on your basketball team? You know, unless we have some weird Kevin Durant situation where he decides after a year, you know, I'm out. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook and make a fast break to FanDuel right now during the NBA playoffs because right now, if you're a new customer with FanDuel, you get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. Yes, $2,500. That is all coming back to you in bonus bets if your first bet does not win with FanDuel. FanDuel is fantastic. They have great promotions each and every day. It's a safe and secure app. You get paid instantly and they have everything you're looking for in the sports betting space. They have all the sports you like. Of course, the NBA and college basketball, WNBA. They have football coming in the fall. They have baseball going on right now, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing all that fun stuff at FanDuel and they also have all the different wagering options for you they have live betting they have futures point spreads totals player props futures all that fun stuff it's all there at FanDuel there's no better place in the world for playoff action and America's number one sports book visit FanDuel.com slash locked on get no sweat first bet again up $2,500 with FanDuel that is FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel official sports betting partner of the NBA it takes patience but you're right I mean by the way if I'm Boston one of the reasons you probably just offer it is that you think you can trade him later if you want to, yes. or that you need to. Um, and I believe, I, I think that I, I think that it's a lot for Jalen Brown. I'm not sure it's going to be a good contract, but as long as he is good, mm-hmm. a team will want him. You know what I mean? Yes. Like at, at the highest level, top 30 guys, they could get moved for something. It's not going to be that hard to do. Will you be able to get like the entire kit and caboodle for him that you might've gotten before? Maybe not, but like, you'll get a lot. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the, yeah, for the Hawks, as we sort of, pivot away from Jalen Brown generalization, the Hawks, you know, certainly are going to, if he's available and we don't know yeah. if he's going to be, they're going to call. I mean, they, they obviously will. He has local connection. He wore a Braves hat in the playoff. I'm not sure if you heard this story, Bill, because you're not, you're not from here, but uh, that was a big story locally is that he was wearing a Braves hat on the podium. Uh, oh, he, he wants to keep, <laughs> I'm serious. This happened. He, um, he, he also had like the, that weird media tour right before the playoffs where he was he like, Hey, I don't know. Maybe I'll leave. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. He's an interesting guy. I, I, I don't know him well or anything, but he's an interesting guy. He's not a uh, guy that you could just project. I don't think, I think he has some, you know, interesting thoughts and the, that media tour was interesting uh, generally speaking. Yes. So I, obviously the Hawks would offer a lot for him. I don't know how much they would offer. Uh, question number one would be, you know, they're not going to offer Trey. So let's say, take Trey off the table. I know that's one way to get Jalen Brown would be to trade Trey. They're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think neither. You know, anyway. So I think it's basically, does Boston want DeJounte Murray? How much does Boston like DeJounte Murray? And if they don't want DeJounte Murray, you got to trade like everything else you possibly have, like mm-hmm. AJ Griffin, Jalen Johnson, every pick you can still trade, the, the herder pick, all that stuff, a Kong Wu, whatever it is. So I don't know what Boston would want. I it doesn't strike me as DeJounte being like the most Boston player imaginable. Yeah. But they also might want a more on ball. You know, that's been one of the things that Boston maybe has been criticized for is not having that kind of on ball point guard type. So maybe that's what they want. I don't know. Yeah. If you're Boston, like let's just say he that Jalen Brown doesn't want the deal or they don't offer it and you have to trade him. Um, it'll be a bidding war. It won't just be the Hawks, but let's just say Jalen likes the Hawks and wants to go there. Um, does anything intrigue you if you're the Celtics, like or what the Hawks position would be? Well, for me, there are two paths that the Hawks can take to get him. Number one is the one that 
you pointed out, it's one that you and I agree would be necessary. And it's one that you and I agree would like be cut off at the pass immediately. I, I would, I do not think they would trade Trey young to try and get Jalen Brown. That would be, you know, that would kind of defeat the purpose of, uh, you know, the way they've kind of structured things in recent uh, months with their front office being people who Trey has a really good relationship with, with uh, Quinn Snyder being a guy who uh, Trey speaks so glowingly about. Like it, it would just make no sense to me to trade Trey, which is a we- hard thing to say just as two words back to back, Trey, yeah. Trey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving Trey to try and get someone. So then you move to, okay, what could a deal look like? Can you get him with, John Collins, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Onyeka Okongwu, or DeJounte Murray, Onyeka Okongwu, AJ Griffin, you know, this, this, and this. And the tricky spot that I think the Hawks are in is that I think the Celtics are in a pretty similar spot where you look at who they have under contract next year. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Derek White, Robert Williams, Danilo Gallinari, Luke Cornett, Sam Hauser, and then player options on Peyton Pritchard, or team options on uh, Peyton Pritchard and Mike Muscala. That is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's 12 guys, all of whom Joe Missoula trusts to one extent or another. I don't know if they are a team that if they are making some kind of deal, it's a deal to turn one guy into three guys, which is kind of the issue that the Hawks find themselves in, where they have a million dudes who are under contract. They're guys who are either promising or part of their rotation. And I just don't know if Boston would want to take three players from Atlanta and turn one guy and turn it into three guys from Atlanta. Like if I had to guess the smarter thing for them would probably be to take one or two guys and turn them into one guy. I don't know if they would actually do that, but I think if the Hawks are making a trade this summer, it is to take three guys and turn it into one guy. And to that end, I just don't know if Boston makes a ton of sense. Now, Boston can get, you know, just pulling something out of left field here. If Boston can turn, um, Jalen Brown and Al Horford into John Collins, DeJounte Murray, uh, Onyeka Okongwu, and A.J. Griffin, maybe that changes things a little bit because then they're turning uh, a guy in Al who's starting to show his age a little bit into a younger, couple younger guys, a couple guys who could stick around for a while or under contract, blah, blah, blah. But, but that's the one issue other than not trading Trey that I think the Hawks would run into if they're trying to be the team that goes out to get, uh, get Jalen Brown. I think you did that to appeal to me directly to throw Al in there. That was nice. I uh, really, really nuanced from you. To put I, I like listen. We've 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 worked together uh, for a long, <laughs> long time. I I know what you like, man. Uh, yeah, I I, I agree, gentlemen, with with the process. I, I the one potential card the Hawks have is one that I think people are people believe is more likely than it actually is, and that would be that Jalen Brown goes to Boston and says, yes. "I want to be traded to Atlanta, like capital to Atlanta," and. A couple of things there. Number one, we don't know that's going to happen. Number two, even if it does, Boston doesn't have to listen. They don't have to do it. Like Kevin Durant, we look at this like Kevin Durant asked for a trade and Brooklyn said no. And that was Kevin Durant, a top yeah. 15 player of all time. Now they eventually traded him a year later, but like that, you don't have to trade the guy. And holding on to KD meant that when it came time to actually make that trade, it was in midseason, and the team that wanted KD was desperate enough yeah. to give up 
everything. Well, and maybe like, Atlanta would be doing it. But listen, yes. this is a new front office we don't know a lot about yet. I keep saying that, and it, it's true. And maybe the Hawks would just say, okay, Boston, we will give you anything that's not Trey. Literally anything yes. you want. And look, that could be it. I mean, there's a way the Hawks overpay in a trade for Jalen Brown. I'm not saying that's likely, but if you trade everything, which I'm, which I'm, and for me, that means a Kongwu, Jalen, AJ, the remaining picks and the salary ballast, whether it's DeJounte Murray or whatever, that's a lot, man. You're giving yeah. up a lot for him. That's a lot. I'm not saying you don't do it or you can't do it, but uh, there is a way to overpay in that, in that trade. Yeah. Just like Phoenix, Phoenix might overpay for Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant's awesome. I, I'm not yeah. saying I, I get why they did it. They gave up everything. So uh, yeah, there's, there's nuance there for sure. Yeah. And I'll certainly say this. If the Hawks, like when I'm looking at potential Jalen Brown landing spots, the thought of putting him in Atlanta next to Trey, next to a guy like Trey, who I think would not, not, I think like he Jalen's big issue is he's not a great creator for himself and Trey or others or or, or others (laughs) and Trey is excellent. So like when we look at spots for Jalen, Atlanta is certainly one that I would love to see him in. It's just the path to getting there is where it starts to get a little bit difficult for me. I agree. So, uh, that's enough for now on Jalen Brown. The the photoshops will continue. I think it's possible. (laughs) I mean, this is one of those situations where a lot of the fake trades, I will just, dunk on it because they're just so absurd like there's obviously a, there is a path to Jalen brown coming to atlanta i'm i'm not going to be the person that says that, that there isn't it's possible i think that it's less likely that people want to think that it is which is fine that's that's part of the deal and also one this is a pet peeve that you know i have uh people are referring to this as a Jalen brown trade rumor we have not reached a single trade rumor about Jalen brown to the hawks we've had happening. We have had one Jalen Brown trade rumor over the last five years, and it was the Kevin Durant it was one the KD that was immediately thing. shot down. Yeah, and, and I get it. Rumor is a shorthand for, like, buzz on the internet. I get it. But, like, yeah. we are not at rumor stage or anything close. I would, honestly, I wish there was a rumor. It'd be great for content if there were actual <laughs> Hawks, Jalen Brown rumors. That'd be awesome. We'd have a lot of things to talk about and packages, but we're not there on the rumor front because there's photoshops. Does that mean that there's rumors? Anyway, we'll get there soon. Hopefully. We, get there ho- soon. Yeah, if you're a Hawks fan, you're – Cross your fingers, and uh, I do, to your point, uh, agree wholeheartedly that pairing him with someone like Trey is the best-case scenario for him mm-hmm. in addition to the team because he does need someone to set him up more. We saw that limitation. His ball handling is very funny in some ways. For a guy as good as he is, he's about as bad of a ball handler as there is. He's improved there, actually. It's kind of funny. Yeah. but Oh, for um, sure. He used to be much worse, but we saw that. You know, His decision-making is not always the best. He's, he's a scorer, and that's what he is, and if you have Trey next to him, it'd be a lot better. All right. The other ostensible purpose of you being on the show today, and thank you for doing this, is to briefly preview the finals. Now, this is not going to be a full hour-long preview of the finals because it's not what we do here. But uh, they start on Thursday evening in Denver. That's a kind of a surprise that they're uh, the host of the game one because they were going to be if Boston won the series yeah. against Miami. May culpa. I have always been low on Miami this year. I look to be right for 82 games when they were literally outscored for the season. Um and now they're in the finals. So what do I know? Nothing, apparently. So uh, where are you at on the whole series, broadly speaking? Because Denver's a big favorite. In fact, I'll give you this number before, before we dive in. Denver is a, on FanDuel, our friends over there, Denver is a minus 460 favorite in the series. So that's a very large uh, projection. Not quite ESPN, BPI. Not quite ESPN, yeah. ESPN uh, has it at like 92 oh, or God. 93%. Okay, what, so what does, what does minus... I'm, what does minus 460 come out to? I will check that for sure. It's like a, that's in the, it's in the 80s. So minus 40, yeah, 82%. Okay. 
That is uh, might be high. It feels like that's more appropriate than whatever ESPN is doing. And they got. Pro- I was actually heartened by how much ESPN was made fun of for the ninety-seven percent thing because it was the dumbest yes. thing. I even as someone who was very low on Miami in that series, I thought they were not going to win. I even said on, on this program, "That's absurd that it's ninety-seven to three. So anyway, at least they're not quite that far. But it's still great. Yeah. Ninety-two is that what you said it was? So it, it was ninety-two, ninety-three, something like that. That, that that's too high. Even I'm, by the way, I'm picking Denver in the series. I'll tell you that right now. That's too high picking Denver in this series and that is too high but I I think this finals rocks man I think it's a really good example of two teams that are such strong believers in how they go about their business in Miami with uh you know it's built in Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra's vision. We are going to bank on our ability to develop guys on finding uh, these undrafted free agent gems on uh, being able to get the most out of every single do we have. But then you have a team in Denver that, you know, Tim Connolly leaves to go take the Minnesota Timberwolves job. They promote internally. Uh, they've had, there've been plenty of times where they would have been totally justified in getting rid of Michael Malone and saying, you know, we need the guy who can get us over the hump. They've stuck with him. Uh, Jamal Murray told that story uh, during the Lakers series where after he hurt his knee, he was like, you guys are going to trade me. Like it would be very easy for you to trade me. And they said, no, absolutely not. And I, I think there is just something really cool uh, about the fact that we see how quickly teams decide to press the uh, eject button. You know, see the last conversation that we just had five minutes ago. <laughs> right. uh, see how quickly teams are willing to give up on players, willing to give up on coaches, willing to give up on their system, their process, kind of their core beliefs. And I think it's really cool to see two teams that made it to the finals in like the exact opposite ways that you possibly can, with Denver being this indomitable one seed, hasn't lost at home since March, Miami being you know, uh, right there to get eliminated in the play-in tournament and now ending up in this spot. I think it's really cool that we're getting these two teams in a brand-new matchup, uh, one that is driving the people who pretend to care about ratings and saying, like, everything's great. This is an awesome NBA final. It's something we ha- have never seen before in the finals, and I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think it is a dead game. And listen, I'm actually very, very, very interested in sports media. I'm a sports media nerd, and – I will be interested in the, in the ratings in the finals, but no one should care about the ratings. In the Correct. Finals. So like if that, if that's your, unless people that work at Disney basically. Uh, yes. But yeah, I, it's very f- weird to me that this is the finals, not because, you know, Denver being there is not a surprise. Miami is a surprise. Um, no matter who you are. I, I mean, I think maybe a heat enthusiast would have projected this, but nobody had. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Are you surprised by how, easily Denver was able to get through the West because like a, a lot of close games in there, but still they've lost. A little, t- yeah. I mean, not honestly with the way that it shook out, I picked them and actually I had to do these previous for sports lines. So it's actually in print. I picked them in every series. I, I guess people were picking Phoenix against them. Um, I like Denver in that series, but I think that was, it was probably easier than I thought that they were going to beat Phoenix. Yeah. And I wouldn't have projected a sweep against the Lakers. I liked them a lot against the Lakers. Yeah. Um, much more so than, I don't know, David Miniman. Just throw, just throw one, name, one name out there. Um, Jesus Christ, Brad. But, but uh, I would not have had a sweep. So I guess if just the little definition of like, it only took them, what, it was five, six, four. So it took them I, 15 yeah. games to get here. That and would have been lost a, by like a combined like 21 points. Or yeah, something. I would I would have projected more than that as far yeah. as total games to get to the finals for Denver, but them being there is not a surprise, but, and look, 
I think them being a favorite of this magnitude in the finals is something that they probably couldn't even expect. I mean, again, no, that's because Miami's there and Miami, again, credit to them. They got there, they earned it. But yeah, I mean, the fact that Denver has home court too is huge. I mean, you don't want to overstate it because I think home court means less than ever, but in Denver, it means a lot, man. The, the altitude, they were 34 and seven in the regular season in the, uh, in, at home. They're eight, no in the playoffs. And it's like a, like a plus 12 net rating. Like they, they have haven't, been, Dominant. Haven't lost at home since March. They've been like, dominant. It's ridiculous. Home. And that, you know, that's a big thing. Like, I, I kind of dismiss home court advantage a lot of the time now, but not in Denver. Den- yeah. Playing at home is a big deal. So, I don't know. I think – I'll ask you this. I agree with you on the on the series itself being really interesting from a basketball nerd perspective that you and I have. Like, Miami runs different stuff, and can they zone Denver? That kind of stuff. What is the pathway in your mind from Miami to – Maybe win, but even like to push just to like seven, let's say, make it close or win. Like, what do they have to do? Is it just Jimmy being nuclear again? Kind of. I mean, I'm one, there are two things with Miami's offense that I find really interesting in this series. Number one is the fact that I think Denver might be as well equipped to defend Jimmy as any team that we've seen. Aaron Gordon is kind of is the kind of big, strong, athletic guy that can battle with him, and he's been really good about avoiding foul trouble. And then if he's not able to do it for one reason or another, Contavious uh, Caldwell Pope going to give up a bit of size, but you know he fights on defense. Bruce Brown gives up a bit of size, fights on defense, that kind of thing. The thing that I find so interesting though is if Jimmy is able to do the thing that he does where he is able to get by guys or he's able to be a little bit faster, a little bit stronger and get to the rim. Denver's not especially good at protecting the rim. Nicole Jokic is really good at being in the right positions. I don't think anyone would mistake him for being Hakeem Olajuwon <laughs> when it comes to protecting the rim. No. So that's kind of one thing. Is Jimmy Butler able to get into those spots that make him such a dangerous offensive player? And if he is, is Denver, which has been an okay defensive team this year, they're, they're certainly not, uh, you know, between the uh, Knicks, the Bucks, and the Celtics, this is probably the worst defense that Miami has played. Uh, you know, out of their defense rate, I know they were like 15th in defensive rating during the regular season. Yeah. Probably the worst defense that Miami has played. So that leads to the second thing. If Jimmy is able to get into those spots, if Bam Adebayo, who... Uh, you know, not exactly a force scoring the ball is able to do enough of that weird dribble handoff passing stuff that makes him so dangerous to find Miami shooters who were not good during the regular season. <laughs> like the fact that my, it, it, you know, I think Miami is one of those teams has a reputation for being one of those teams that can shoot. They were 27th in the league in three point field goal percentage during the regular season. And then you look at what they did against Boston. Boston took, I have the numbers in front of me, 212 threes that were classified as either open or wide open. Miami took 162 of them. Despite that, Miami made eight more of those threes, 79 to 71 than Boston. They were just getting an insane, insane hot streak from behind the three-point line. And if they can do that against Denver, if they can carry on this historic shooting from behind the three-point line, and if their guys if Denver's guys are not able to slow Jimmy Butler down to the extent they need to, I can start to see a path for Miami, even though, like you mentioned, I have a really hard time seeing Miami taking a game off of Denver in Denver. 
unless they do some weird heat devil magic where they win game one and all of a sudden like the entire series shifts on his head from the very jump. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. I think that Miami is going to have a and does have a significant rest disadvantage in game one, which makes it even harder. Like they're yes. gonna, they got to be gassed after playing seven games, but maybe it's the rust thing. I'm sure that's been talked about everywhere. Like Denver hasn't played in a long time. Maybe they just punch him in the mouth early on and that's it. But yeah, I mean, I, I really, really, really don't want to boil it down only to this. Right. But Miami shot 43% from three against Boston and Boston shot 30% on, like you said, disparate volumes. Yes. And like, Maybe Miami can do it again. Uh, it's it's so funny that they shot it like crazy against Milwaukee. They didn't shoot well against New York when they didn't have to. Their one series where they were actually favored was against the Knicks, and they didn't make shots in that series. And then when they when they needed to against Boston, they made shots again. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that there is a way for Denver, sorry, for Miami to score. It starts with Jimmy. I think Jimmy's going to have to be better than he was against Boston. But he yeah. had moments against Boston for sure. He was still good in the series, but he had a couple game like full games where he was not very good against Boston. Yeah. And I, I I have it up here. The final five games of the series, Jimmy f- shot thirty eight point seven percent from the field. He can't do that again. They're not going to win the series if he's not incredible, and I, that's fine. I mean, he, he doesn't have to be this, the guy. I mean, he was like averaging forty a game for a while against Milwaukee, or whatever. He doesn't have to be that guy, but he's he's got to be good. Because Caleb Morton, God bless his soul, who was incredible in the last series, isn't going to shoot sixty percent. I don't think against Denver. Maybe he will. Maybe I'm I, don't him. don't you dare uh, disrespect a member of the Miami Heat, Brad. This will be chopped oh, up and put on. Oh, trust me, I, I got I get, I get plenty of this. Even from like even on this podcast, the Hawks podcast, people are like, why do you hate Miami so much? I'm like, guys, they literally got outscored the regular season. I, I was right about Miami for eighty two games. I did pick them against the Knicks, though. At least, there, at least there's that. I, I have I'm not I'm not zero three. I picked them against the Knicks. Um, but no. And that's there's some talk about Hero coming back. I've poked plenty of fun at Tyler Hero. I think the the Ewing theory stuff there is funny to me. I think they've actually been better without him. I do I do believe that. But they might need him to score against Denver. That makes sense. You know what I mean? Uh, I think with the way that Jimmy has played through three series and the way that Kyle Lowry has played and Gabe Vincent has played and even Duncan Robinson has played and Caleb Martin has played, they haven't needed Hero. They, they just haven't. And he makes them so much worse defensively that they haven't needed his offense. Yeah. There's a world in this series where they actually might need him as a creator if the magic kind of runs out with the other guys. Like if Caleb Martin's not hitting every single shot or if, you know, all that stuff. So that's that's something to keep an eye on. I, I tend to think that, again, I, I kind of think they've, they've been better without him, which is that doesn't, that doesn't mean he's bad. I just think that matchup-wise. Um, so I'm with you. I think it could be competitive. I think that they can do a good job, and Spoh's really good. I, I think that yes. Michael Michael Malone is is better at his job than Joe Mazzulla is at his job at this very moment. So that's uh, a little bit less of a glaring advantage than it was in the last series. And look, importantly, uh, Nikola Jokic is the best player in the series. Um, obviously, I think if you lined up every player in Boston, Miami, and said uh, who is the best player in 2023, I think Tatum is better than Butler. But in in the playoffs, I think I might take Butler. You know what I mean? Yeah. With uh, playoff Jimmy and all that, I know he I know he hates that. But Jokic is the best player in the series. And then you also have a guy in Murray who I've thought, I've never been the biggest fan of, but I think obviously he's dynamic. They can have the best two players in the series if Jimmy's not superhuman, and the way that Murray's been playing, that's a difference to me in this series. Is that the the other end of the floor? I don't really think Miami can stop Denver. They can slow them down. I, 
Denver's the best offensive team in the league at full strength. Their starting lineup is the best lineup in the league by the numbers for like two years now, like a year and a half now, how long it's been. Um, and like, maybe I'm wrong, maybe, maybe disagree, but that's the part that I don't see. I, I can see Miami continuing, like you said, their double magic and making shots. I don't really see the path where they stop Denver. The, the tough thing for Miami is that if they try to junk it up, if they say we're putting a zone out there, uh, if they say we're going to do this little tweak, this little tweak, this little tweak, the only guys who are on Jokic's level in terms of seeing something once and figuring it out are LeBron James, are Luka Doncic, and that might be it. Like He is just that good at being given a problem and solving it after seeing it one or two times. And on top of that, you know, we talk a lot by we, I mean, you and I, and also the general kind of basketball collective consciousness of Miami and how they shot from three and how hot they got. I'm going to give you the three point field goal percentage for several guys on Denver. In the postseason, Jokic is at 47.4%. KCP <laughs> is at 41.1%. Michael Porter is at 40.8%. Jamal Murray is at 39.8%. And then Aaron Gordon, the guy that I don't think anyone said, would say is a shooter, is at 35.1%, which is, for him is like, that's the guy we want to leave wide open, and he's hitting 35% of his threes. Yep. So there's that stuff. There's the fact that I have no idea – what the plan is going to be to try and slow down Jokic. I think they're going to put Bam Adebayo on him. I, like, I know there's going to be uh, the school of thought of, okay, do we maybe put Bam on someone else, kind of let him be a rover? Do the uh, Kevin like, Love, put, use, use yeah. Kevin Love like they did, and, and then use Bam like they did with AD in the Lakers series? Yeah, use Kevin Love, yeah. use Cody Zeller, maybe even put Jimmy on him and just hope that Jimmy could like you know provide a little bit of muscle. Caleb Martin could provide a little bit of muscle, even if they're undersized. I don't think that would work especially well. Brad, I went through and looked. Can you tell me in the two matchups that the Miami Heat played against the Denver Nuggets this year, Bam spent the most time on Jokic according to NBA.com's uh, matchup stats. Who was second? Oh, Lord. Because uh, you're asking me if it's something weird. I will say Dwayne Devin. <laughs> It was Orlando Robinson who was okay. on a two-way contract and yeah. is not with the team. Like so, yeah, so. I, I know it's something weird like that just because of the way you teed it up. But, you know, yes. And by the way, to your point earlier, like Miami got a, a lot of credit, and they should have, for the zone they play against Boston. Yeah. I think it was Kevin Pelton I heard this from on the podcast. And he was basically gave, gave the numbers like, Denver has the best zone offense in the league. They kill yeah. zone. Now, Miami plays the best zone in the league, so that's a little bit different. They play the most zone in the league. They're really well coached at it. But I, that's not a team that you want to zone. I don't think it could be a wrinkle for a quarter or whatever, but that can't be my, I mean, I think Spode knows that can't be their plan. This They're right. not going to be able to zone them like they did Boston. Yeah. Um, like Denver will both shoot over it. And also the weak spot in Miami's zone can be that little free throw line area. If you let Nikola Jokic stand unperturbed at the free throw line, you are dead. He's going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Uh, and yeah, I'm glad you brought three point shooting. Denver as a team in the playoffs is like 38 or 39 percent. That's good. It's not incredible. That's about what they shoot normally, which is credit to them. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is again reductive. But if Murray has a bad series, that opens the door. Mm -hmm. I don't think Jokic is going to have a bad series. He's just no. too good. He might have a bad game, but like he's just too good. There's no way to stop him. Um, Murray's the guy that really swings it. Um, if he's if he's the guy he was against the Lakers. 
Denver's going to win. I have no doubt at all. He was, of course, he was he was absurd against the Lakers. So there's that. Um, but even Porter, I think those are the two guys. It's yep. very obvious in some ways. If Denver just got nothing from Porter and Murray, then the, then it becomes an even series. You know what I mean? But if if Porter makes his jumpers and he usually does, and if Murray, I don't think Murray's going to have seven good games. He doesn't usually do that. He's pretty up and down in some ways, even within yeah. even within games. But if he wins them a game or two, like you're just kind of drawing dead. So I don't know. Long story short, I I think that you know our friends at FanDuel again have the most uh, the most likely outcome in the series being Nuggets in five. As far as, far as like the mo- like the exact outcome, um, the series like spread is basically you know Nuggets. Oh, I'm looking at it now. Nuggets minus one and a half, and they're favored. So basically, Nuggets in six games or less is a favored outcome in the series. Nuggets in five is the most likely outcome. Um, I guess it's prediction time. What do you What do you think is the uh, What do you think is the, Are you in agreement with Fanduel that's most likely outcome, or do you like something else? I I was thinking Nuggets in five for the pretty simple reason that it's really hard for me to see Miami winning a game in Denver. All, you know, short rest, going into altitude, a team they don't necessarily match up great against. Yeah. So we'll say those two games go Denver's way. By the time it gets to Miami, you were then saying to me, Denver has to win one game in Miami before it then gets back to Denver. Uh, and those conditions are exactly the same. Only Miami has four games of NBA finals wear and tear on them. So I, I was thinking nuggets in five, which means the heat are going to win the series in six games. And uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. let me, let me look at their, Omer Yurt Seven is going to uh, play out of his mind. Nikola Jovic is going to be the best Nikola J.O. something I see in the, like something stupid. Like this is just what Miami does. It is, and uh, I have learned my lesson on some level about. Uh, and look, I never would have, and I didn't dismiss the Heat against Boston. I picked Boston in the series, but I thought Miami had a chance. The one time I did think they had a chance was against Milwaukee. That I was. I was stunned by that result. Stunned. And you don't you you don't want to be the person who sounds like you're adding all these caveats. But like, if Giannis doesn't fall down, her yeah, or no, I, and he just didn't look right at any point in that series. Maybe it changes things. But at the same time, like it's Miami, so maybe not. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. they, they just they and yeah, the Tatum thing, whatever. Miami was the better team in the majority of the series in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not sure that Boston doesn't win some of that time, some of the time if something breaks wrong or whatever, but like Miami yeah. was a worthy winner of that series. It was a lot of fun. Exactly. They outplayed them. Um, so I'm not going to write them off. And again, we, we poked fun at it earlier, but we don't speak for yourself, but I don't think this is a 90, 10 series. I think this is yeah. much closer than that. Um, I can't pick Miami. I, I think, you know, hats off to you. If you want to pick Miami and they win, like I, hats off. Um, Denver's just so much better than them on paper that I can't mm-hmm. possibly pick Miami. But I will acknowledge, like, Miami has the best coach in the league, in my opinion. That Agreed. really matters. And they – it's a team they've, that's playoff They've tested. been here. Yeah, they've, they've been here they, before. They've been and here. Jimmy's Jimmy's a maniac in the best way for this this kind of setup. Um, so, yeah, I, I I won't fall on the floor if Miami wins the series. But yeah, I and, think that Denver's better. And I think if Spo can get this to – a place where all the little weird ways he wants to junk a series up, whether it's uh, throwing out that zone, throwing out a one, three, one zone, like 
full court pressuring Miami and that gets uh, Murray out of his rhythm. Like some weird thing where Gabe Vincent is guarding Jokic <laughs> and that somehow like he has all he's going to come up with all these little weird tricks, these little things up his sleeve that come from being in this environment and understanding that like it, it was a thing that I thought we saw a big time in the Celtics series. There is merit. There is um, something honorable about your best plan B being just do your plan A better, which was kind of Boston's uh, approach the entire series. And for three games, for a couple games started to work, ended up not working towards the very end. Spo understands that good process that leads to bad results in this environment is not good process. Your process can suck, but if it gets you the results that you need, that's all that matters. And that's just the one thing that I, one thing I'm interested in in one way that I think Miami might have a bit of an edge. It's that they're going to be willing to do literally anything and everything and make, it'll be gross. It'll be weird. It'll be ugly. It'll be nonsensical. But if it leads to them picking up a bunch of 97 to 81 wins, or uh, they magically have one game where they score 130 points, nobody will care. Oh, that's right. You're right. And that's, they have that playoff experience and uh, you don't want to attribute too much to coaching, but it does. He's, he's a really, he's literally, I think the best coach in the league. And, that yeah, really and, helps. and in fairness, Malone is also, in, he's also really good. He's, I said he has pressed every single correct button. Yeah. And that's, that is why I have more confidence in Denver than I would. in a lot of teams here is that I think Malone has done a good job. I think he's a yes. good coach. He's not a good, he's, I don't think he's as good as Spoke. You wind up have, if you gave him the same team, I think Spoke would be the guy I'd want, but, uh, Malone has the better team and he is, he's also been, he's also been around. He's not been in the finals like Spo, but he's been, he's been through the wars. Yeah. He's been around a long time. So uh, yeah, we, we seem to like Denver. We'll see if Miami can do it one more time. Uh, they certainly could. Uh, maybe Jimmy will be the MVP and they'll just go out and he'll average 38 a game and they'll win. I, I don't yeah. know. So one and big I'm, shrug I'm from us. I'm rooting for Miami because that would be the weirdest possible outcome to all of this. It would make the most people as furious as more people angry than any other potential outcome. So uh, go heat. I guess. You want, you, you want chaos. You want Jimmy yes. content from the podium. If they win, <laughs> it would be incredible. Jimmy would put on an absolute show. If they won the finals, I have no doubt about that. Jimmy, Jimmy would light off fireworks inside of a building like to celebrate. Like, yeah, he, I mean, he'd do something very silly. It would be really good content. Uh, also, we could also get the Michael Michael Malone revenge tour that he's been on for the last three or four weeks when he's talking about every single slight that they got from Kendrick Perkins on ESPN. Yes. So, Malone uh, is I, – I, I greatly enjoy – there is no coach whose press conferences I love more than Michael Malone because he sits down, reads everything in the box score, and then it's just suddenly – you know, he'll say, all right, so I was listening uh, to Keyshawn Johnson <laughs> on his television show with Jay Williams, and he said something I didn't like. And how do you do that? How do you have the energy for this? But, but the Heat are also like, these are the two best teams at taking weird slights and turning them into like the biggest thing in the world as a source of motivation. Right, it's and great. there's something very noble about that. It's, it's whatever works for you. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that, uh, listen, no one cares about what I say, but I, I am very sure that the Hawks, that, that, sorry, the Heat could find some stuff that I've said that would be uh, motivating for them. Okay. Well, Bill, thank you for doing this. Please plug what you have going on. I know you have lots of things in the world that you would like to share about what you're doing in life. So go ahead. Uh, yeah, just uh, read the stuff that we're going to be doing uh, on Dime throughout the NBA Finals and uh, once the Finals end, silly season rolls around, which is always a fun time for everyone in the world of basketball. Then uh, yeah. I'm around. I'm doing stuff. Whatever. Go State. Am I Go right? State. Thank you, Bill. Bill, you're a mensch. I appreciate you doing this. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. 
uh, follow Bill on the Twitter machine if you'd like to follow the folks at Dime where I contribute uh, mostly on Mondays these days. But uh, alas, here we are. And we'll see you all next time.